Welcome to Fractional, episode number 33, where my co-host Joshua Wold and I, Lance Robbins, talk about work and life and building a career that works for us, uh, where we're at with our families and our journey today. So here we go. It's another week. So we're on this parallel life journey. We've been doing it for a couple of years now that we're in an industry that's pretty volatile. We talk about this. This has come up on the podcast numerous times. It's not like a parent or grandparent that just expected to have a career for 40 years. I have been at multiple jobs, once for five years, another time for five, another for two and a half. That went on for a long time, but it just seems to be a level of volatility I didn't expect. I'm, I don't need to get into it on the show, but there's been shifts in my life over the last few months that I didn't expect. I've found, this is, I guess, the topic, I've found that throughout it all, it's so important to have community. It's so important to have people who are there for you. I think it was the episode with Greg's story, just calling out that uh, you and I have been a mini support group for each other. <laughs> Without going into any details, I'm thankful today. It's a season to be grateful. Things have all, like, I'm, I'm totally fine, but just up and down stressors. I think the thing that comes out for me is it's so important for us to be kind and helpful to each other. You never know what someone else is going through. Uh, this isn't a religious podcast, but from my own beliefs and Lance's, we, we believe that there's an imperative on us to be kind and loving toward others. It's a human trait overall as well, so you don't have to be religious to believe in that. So I, I digress, but I'm thankful and also have been stressed out. How are you doing, Lance? <laughs> yeah, I can, I can relate to so much of that. The, the parallel journey here of sometimes, yeah, not necessarily by choice, but moving on into a world where intentionally there's uncertainty. Being self-employed has so much of that baked into it, and surviving that story the last 12 months has been, I mean, I have learned a tremendous amount. There are things that like, I don't want to go back to with the stability, the security you know, that came with that, but boy, do I sometimes crave knowing that six months from now, three months from now, I have an idea of what my income looks like, and I can pretty well bank on that. That's gone. Like that's gone. So it's it's just so interesting. I've been noticing a trend here. Like I'm I'm pretty minimalist when it comes to social media. You all know I'm mostly a LinkedIn troll. <laughs> no, I don't do that. But that's where I hang out. And I see some folks posting, "Please help. It's been 7, 8, 9 months, 18 months. I've had 100 interviews, you know, a dozen final round interviews, offers rescinded. I don't know. It's like there's two different kinds of people in the world. The ones who can endure that, which I think I'm just not, like I'm not up for that. And then the ones who will be like, I can't wait. And maybe that's it, right? Because I couldn't wait. Um, if I had runway to search for a job for 18 months, maybe I just would sit back and search for a job for 18 months. And no way to not meaning to insinuate that all you do is sit back and wait because looking for work, you and I both know is a very busy, hard job. Yeah. So I think, well, what's the alternative for folks? And I think this is where I see, I mean, I, I feel like every day I see someone new, even within my HR niche popping up saying, Hey, I'm hanging my shingle. I am, I'm going on my own. I'm now a fractional, you know, HR, you know, con executive leader, contributor, director, operator, whatever. Right. But they're just opting out of the, the game. Does that mean that the market will then become crowded 
on the fractional side and the game will just like come over here. I don't know. A lot of questions, not a lot of answers, but I'm just seeing this trend. And... Maybe there are still some industries and companies where you can plan on that stability. If you can, let me know about them. I'm curious. Uh, I, I will say I was talking to a friend and colleague not too long ago, and he's like, hey, I've, I've actually found a company where I think that and he's also been through the ringer along along with me. He's been at every type of company. So he's like, hey, Joshua, I think I've found a place where I can be here till I retire. I don't know if that can happen in this world. I'm curious. I'm curious if that can happen. But also the fact that he's seen all of it and he thinks that he found a place where that will happen. Maybe they still exist. We'll find out. I'll check back in a couple of years to see what happens. <laughs> this desire for fractional, this desire for being on our own. It comes from just maybe being knocked around so many times. I, I On Monday or Tuesday, did I tell you about this, about my ear? No, I don't know about your ear. Let's do some personal <laughs> stuff here. Let's get into talking about my ears. I have been very paranoid about hearing protection for about five years because I've gotten occasional spikes in sound where tinnitus, it'll, I'll hear a little ringing, and then it after 10 seconds it goes back down. It's like in the movies when a bomb goes off, there's the ringing sound. That's me, but it only lasts 10 seconds, so it's great. And I also know, I'm pointing to my right ear, my right ear is a little, it has less hearing than my left ear. I thought my AirPods were broken until I realized, nope, one just doesn't hear as well. On Monday, and you know, offline, you know about just some of the stressors I've been going through recently. On Monday, I woke up with a pulsing, vibrating sound in my ear, just my right ear, like a phone vibrating on a desk, but right by the, the side of your face. And so for the first half of the day, I was looking around for a phone that was going off. When I realized it was in my brain, it was tinnitus, but at a low frequency, that was really tough. I, like, oh, you will struggle to hear out of this ear for the rest of your life is the first thing that Google tells me. <laughs> Dr. Google. Thank you, Google. Always trustworthy and not dramatic. Yes, what do you know? It's the worst place to go, but it's like, all right, how am I going to find a doctor first thing today? So I started doing some research and realizing that um, what's happening is my tinnitus is having either a permanent or a temporary flare-up. It got so bad that I'm sitting there trying to talk to my family, and all I'm hearing is the buzzing in one ear going off all day long. It was, it was almost a breaking point for me of just, I don't know how I can handle this along with all the other stuff going on in my life. And so yesterday morning, I was, I couldn't sleep. Stupid buzzing. <laughs> I was on Reddit reading about this, and one person's like, hey, the first thing to do is get through the five stages of grief and accept it. If you fixate on this, your life, you can spend the five, next five years worrying about this. If you can accept it, your brain, your neurons will block it out, and it will get a little bit more diminished over time, and you will almost not notice it. That's the only path forward if it's permanent. So this morning... I woke up after 72 hours, and it was gone. I, like, felt around. I moved around. And by midday, it came back, but it's very quiet and calm, and it's now on and off instead of pulsing. So just, I'm, like, double gr grateful today. So I, I think I've got it. I think it's something I'll have to deal with. But that was a flare-up. And when I was reading about it, it's apparently can either be because you're sick or... It's brought on by stress. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I was just, I mean, I was totally waiting for you to say that. Stress induced. So I, 
I'm so thankful. I probably will have to deal with this on some level for the rest of my life, but I'm like at an okay level today. It's down. It's it's a little bit, it's like this stupid little buzz, and I've decided to call it James. Like, oh, James is talking to me again. Um, part of the acceptance. But I'm okay. I'm okay, and I don't know what else is worth sharing about that story, but if you if you struggle with tinnitus, you're going to be okay. Talk to somebody. <laughs> probably I need to talk to an audiologist at some point, but we'll figure that out later. Wow. That is so amazing. So interesting. Like great to find out whether it's permanent or not. And, and then, you know, like stress management is a huge contributor then. Yep. James just popped up again, but it's really quiet. And it just like, he's just letting me know that he could be there if he wants to. <laughs> but and, Probably because you're talking to me. And it got bad enough that I couldn't really hear someone talking because I was so distracted here, like on this call. I'm no longer distracted. So maybe I just got to that fifth stage really quickly. So I'll, I'll move on. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Well, on the personal, on the more personal side of things, I will say that we did make good on our trip to Fairmont Hot Springs. Uh, that was lovely. It's absolutely fantastic. Such a great place. Huge plug for that sweet little spot just a few hours north of here. It was great. Also got to um, do a trail run in the Canadian Rockies first uh trail run in canada and as i left the resort there were signs all over the place about bears on the that's trails. what i was gonna so, ask yes yeah caution and i and i looked up and the snow was falling and it was 20 something degrees and i thought i'm grateful that it's winter <laughs> for thanksgiving we ended up uh getting just a hotel downtown with the swimming pool and hung out and it was Really nice, actually, just to take one evening and shift the upgrade to a suite. And it was the, one of the simplest ways we've celebrated. We didn't go on some big trip, but we loved it. So we might actually do it again for Christmas. We'll see. Um, oh, one more, one more note is that I am scheduled to go for a run after this, too. So it is, it is winter running season. I, well, so I will just add that this is part of a, a, bigger, a bigger plot to drop some weight. I've always been someone that just like could eat whatever and stayed at a weight that I wanted to be at. But over the last two or three years, and again, I know this can also be impacted by stress and age, whatever, but I have found that keeping my weight where I want it to be has been much more difficult. Kickstarting a little bit of a, of a attempt over the next 12, 15 weeks to drop 12, 15 pounds. What you're describing, you're not anywhere near a point where it's it's a problem, but you're like you're a runner like me, and an extra fifteen pounds makes a big difference when you're trying to go up those hills. So I I'm currently at one seventy. About a year and a half ago, I was at two hundred, and the ease with which I'm able to move through the woods and trail run it is completely different. I'm not out of breath as quickly. Um, and yeah, we're both tall, skinny dudes, but we're getting to the point where an extra fifteen, twenty, thirty pounds can start to happen if we're not careful. <laughs> Yeah, and it's winter season, so you just don't feel it as much. Um, yeah, I, I weighed in at 205 uh, right after we got back from our trip to Canada, the heaviest I've ever been by, by a couple of pounds. I've been, been here once, twice before, but yeah, my, I'm, I'm trying to get to 185. That's a, a really good weight for me at six foot three. So follow along. <laughs> cool. So um, openness in, in work environments, something that's not always there. Usually it's one directional. Yeah, we, I mean, we've talked about this. So, uh, <laughs> when I am part of a team and leadership is saying it's important to be open and candid, 
I've gotten to the point now after being at a lot of companies where I immediately look for signs that openness starts at the top. Because if it doesn't, and openness only comes from the bottom, it, can't, it could just be that the leadership is not understanding of how it works, or it could be malice. Leadership looks for everyone underneath them to speak up and then weaponizes that against them. And I've seen that at different organizations. The organization I was at recently, I heard a really cool story from one of the employees where they were like, hey, here's an example when I had to call out the CEO on something. And he immediately said, oh, my word, I had not seen that. I was completely wrong and then made up. I'm getting the details a little fuzzy, but the, the, the essence is there. And he immediately shared with the rest of the team how he had done wrong, and he appreciated this IC calling it out. Stories like that are critical for new people coming on to hear little anecdotes of that, to figure out, is this a safe place for me to say something, if I, to, for me to be open? It doesn't mean that that's a great working environment by alone, but it's a sign to look for. And that's something I've started to notice, where if it's just leadership saying, you got to be open, you got to be open, I now immediately look for, all right, where's the other part to this? Where's the proof that leadership also does what they're asking the rest of the team to do? I think, and, and I'd love to hear your take on this, as an IC primarily most of my career, uh, let's say half of my career. I have looked for ways to be as open as possible to make sure that work is going forward. And sometimes I have had to limit my openness because I've learned it's not safe. I've learned that it's better to share with leadership what they want to hear in order to survive. That's the reality. So I'd be curious, what are instances where coming from the C-suite, you've seen examples where leadership genuinely and honestly struggles with openness, not out of malice, but out of maybe where something's gone wrong. Have you seen examples where they're not sure whether to be open for other reasons? So I, I know I've seen a few different things. So when there's a split at the leadership level on fundamentally what we believe around how open we should be, that creates situations where you know some are pushing for more openness and others are holding that back. And so depending on who you're talking to, you're getting that version of it. There are also times where to protect another individual or to protect something that's private or you know doesn't need to be shared or shouldn't be shared there's other information that's attached to that thing that will sometimes get held back as well right even if the entire executive team is like we really embrace the spirit of transparency and sharing or openness and feedback but there is a situation or a person that we want to protect and so because of that like we will also not share the stuff that's near near it and, and I can respect that, right? I understand that. Like, that makes a lot of sense. And then the third thing that I see is that everybody might want to get on board with the feedback train and the openness, but it's such a mess. They either A, don't know how, or B, if they did, it would be like, yeah, like violating your own constitutional right to, to be quiet <laughs> so you don't incriminate yourself. <laughs> and so they just kind of plead the fifth on things. Coming from an IC perspective, it's almost impossible to tell the difference when the C-suite is being careful to protect someone's, to protect another team member's uh, private information. Let's say it's HR related. Let's say it's HIPAA related versus they're doing it just to cover up a mistake on their part. 
So what would you say for, I maybe I, I've gotten jaded over the years because I've seen a blanket, we can't say anything to protect someone's interest, it'd be used for way, in way too many instances. So I have an example. And in one situation, I had somebody who we knew, you know, they were be let go. Uh, they knew it. They had kind of an end date in mind. There was additional project work, like that belonged to them, that was not going to get done. And I looked at that and I thought, you know what, there's, I could really use help on this, right? I don't know this person's personal situation. I don't know how much runway they have. I don't know what it means that their employment is ending. For me, when my employment was ending, when I was laid off last, like that meant I needed to find something without a gap. So any runway that my employer could extend to me was so valuable. I approached this person. I said, hey, it looks like there's still some work that needs to get wrapped up here. I could really use your help with that. Would you be interested in however you wanted to structure it? extending your termination date or working with us on a, on like on a contract or, you know, services agreement um, outside of this, you know, structure it however you like, but to help us finish off project A, B, and C. And they just said, okay, well, I'll think about that. Not a lot of reaction. A colleague came to me later of this person's kind of let me have it for toying with them, playing with, playing around with them or whatever. My desire is to share. <laughs> but the person this person is trying to defend, I need to protect. And so no defense, no explanation. You know, thank you for sharing that. I appreciate you caring um, enough about this person to come to me with that information, right? There's so many other things at play that this person doesn't know about, and it's not their business to know about, right? But they felt that they needed to come to me in defense of their colleague. And so I listened. I listened to them be very angry and upset with me. I smiled. I thanked them. I encouraged them. But I wasn't going to share like any other information because I was protecting someone else in the organization. In that story, there was a power dynamic between leadership and uh, this person. I don't know if they were leadership or IC, but it doesn't matter. There was a power dynamic because this person's about... They were an, an IC, yeah. Yeah, they're about to be let go. You were attempting to make it work better and someone else was trying to make sure that person was being taken care of and being treated kindly. And so they, they vented to you. The right thing to do, I think, was to take it and not, not allow yourself to punch down, essentially, right? And maybe that's what happens when you're in leadership. You have to accept the punches, to take it, and not misuse your power to hurt because there is that power differential there. So No, I think that's actually a really great story that kind of analyzes that Behind the scenes, as a leader, you were dealing with a whole bunch of elements that it just did not make sense to be sharing. And so you had to kind of just take one for the team, so to speak. And I think that I have been in situations where all this stuff comes up and we cannot say the reason. I struggle, like if I'm part of hiring or letting someone go, I do learn a ton of data related to that, but I have to be very careful what I share or don't share if I was involved in leadership. It's hard. It goes. It does go both ways to some extent, and I think the most important thing to do is look out for those people at the bottom of the power differential and try and make sure they're taken care of. Because it's so easy for one little statement that a leader says to shake an entire IC's life with their family, their livelihood, their future. I, I talked to one person where he'd felt gaslit in his previous role, 
and it affected him for months afterward. It affected his ability to think that he was good enough to find an equivalent role because of how he'd been treated. Like, that that's not okay. Yeah, yeah. In this, in this situation, too, I knew that I was taking a risk at, at upsetting this person by even offering them the opportunity to extend their work, right? Because I know what it's like to be on that roller coaster. You don't want to be messed with. You're, you're mentally, emotionally preparing for that. And then to have that Band-Aid ripped off or that wound reopened is, is really hard. And I knew that I would take that risk. But uh, I also felt like there was the right thing to do because, like I said, I don't know their situation, and if I could offer them another six, eight, ten weeks of income while they were transitioning, like to me, that would have been a huge gift when I was in that situation. So I drew from my own experience, right? And extended that knowing I might step on a landmine, but that's a risk I was willing to take. Apparently I did. I was happy for the fallout of it because I, I think if I had to do it all over again, I would just do the same thing. I really think so. Because you had the empathy of being in that situation. So you're like, well, let me see if I can make this easier for someone else because I've been here before. We got some feedback. I love it when we get feedback from listeners. So this is, um, this is a, a faithful, faithful listener. You mind sharing from uh, what we got from Luke? Yeah. So uh, Luke Carbis, I, he gave me permission to share. He followed up on our last podcast about inductive reasoning versus deductive reasoning. And uh, from the book... Mastering Communication at Work. And it actually led into, and I don't think I've told you this yet, a 15-minute discussion on the Ultra Pro Max podcast where we talked about this. So I'm, I'm running this full circle now. His basic call-out is that inductive reasoning, because the thing we shared is we, you should use deductive reasoning at work by default, especially when speaking to the C-suite at an organization. His kind of pushback is that inductive reasoning can work well if you're a good storyteller. If you have the ability to don't give the conclusion first, walk someone through the journey. And so we had a little great discussion about that. And I think my pushback on his pushback is it works well if you've earned the right with someone to be inductive. For instance, on most days, I've earned the right to be inductive with my wife, to basically say, here's a story that happened at work today. She'll look at me, she'll wait for the conclusion, maybe like, all right, where's this going? But she trusts, like we have, we have a relationship built up over time where occasionally I can use inductive reasoning. Other times I need to say, hey, by the way, there's a good ending here, da-da-da-da, now let me tell you what happened. Yeah, this is interesting. I don't know if I should share this. I used to have a boss that would do the inductive thing, storytelling to me, when he wanted to give me feedback, right? <sighs> So he'd start this story about, I don't know, himself from early in his career, how you know, he used to do this and his boss used to tell him this and that. Uh, and you kind of get to the end and I'm like, son of a gun, he's talking about me. <laughs> you probably would have appreciated if he had said, and he was probably trying to be kind, if he had said, hey, I've got some feedback for you. Let me share a little story that will kind of illustrate this. That would have probably, because in the future, anytime he ever used inductive reasoning, you probably were on high alert. <laughs> Yeah, totally. He'd start a story and I'm like, all right, what's, where's this going? Where's this going? You know? And then he'll walk away and I'm like, huh, is that what he thinks? <laughs> I think this will be something I'm going to keep exploring a little bit more. Uh, so I appreciate the feedback, Luke. That was fantastic. And if any listeners are curious, I'll link to the other podcast, <laughs> cross-reference uh, Ultra Pro Max on that. Well, with that, we can... Um... Invite you to, to talk to us, email us. We love the feedback. Thank you, Luke. If there's something else here that anybody wants to chime in on uh, and make it part of next week's show, 
please do send that to us at email at fractional.fm. Got that right. And we'll be back again next week with episode 34.